Yeah, that, they were making plans already. But, uh, well, today is a very, very special day. I think I, I was sharing with someone earlier uh, that uh, today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and I think you saw that on your bulletin. And uh, I go back to uh, my first pastorate uh, in the late 90s when I first started observing the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. I have to confess... I guess, uh, my ignorance, but I didn't realize there was a Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And I, I well remember, I was telling someone this morning, uh, one of the ladies in my church, as she was going out of the church that day, I was shaking hands. She had a uh, little small feet, little tiny feet, a little pin on her, on her dress lapel. And, you know, I'm a curious person. And I, I said, if you don't mind me asking, what, I've never said, what is that little, those little feet there? Um, what does that mean? She said, well... Uh, today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and she said, when I was a teenage girl, about 16 years of age, she said, I got pregnant, and, uh, you know, someone gave me some advice, I wasn't married, and you know, my father was a deacon in the church, and I, I just couldn't bring myself to tell my parents, I didn't know what I was going to do, and, and uh, you know, someone said, well, you could get an abortion, and she said, it certainly seemed like the thing for me to do, and, and she said, I did it. And I thought that was the end of it, that it would go away. But she said it didn't go away. I thought about it all the time. And eventually she got married and had a, had a couple of broken marriages and finally, you know, ended up marrying someone and, and uh, really just committed her life to the Lord. And even after having two daughters, she said she was in her mid-twenties when really she just, she began to wrestle and she was always thinking back and thinking back to that time. And, and she really... The Lord showed her, you know, you, you've got to get healing for that. And so she, uh, you know, gave that to the Lord. And she said, you know, one of the things that God told me that I needed to do, you know, not to condemn myself and beat myself up about this the rest of my life, but that he had forgiven me for that. But I needed to reach out and help others. And uh, she said, I always wear this pen. She said, certainly every saint did human life, Sunday. And I often wear it when I go places. Somebody asks me, you know, I tell my story. I'm not ashamed to tell my story because I want to help other people. I want to let other people know that, listen, you know, you're in a bad situation and you think, hey, an abortion, that's the way to go. It's just all going to go away. That's not the way to go. And, and I, she said, listen, I'd love to tell my story. I asked her, I said, would you be willing to, to, to share, you know, uh, uh, in church? Would you be willing to share from the pulpit? And so the very next Sunday, I believe the first Sanctity of Human Life Sunday as a pastor that I ever observed uh, this Gracious lady agreed to speak, and, and she got up and told her story, and, and uh, it was just really an inspiration. It was a story like really all of our stories, if, you, if you're honest. Uh, again, I was talking to someone this morning. You know, the church is not a museum where we come and display, look at all these beautiful people. Look at all these perfect people. Look at all these beautiful families. The church was never meant to be a museum. The church is a rescue station. The church is a rescue station where we're to go out and rescue the perishing, care for the dying, you know, bring those who are hurting in where they can find the grace of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, you know, just, just a time where, where God really blessed. So ever since that time in the late 90s, uh, when I became aware of the sanctity of human life, I have shared, uh, usually it's the fourth Sunday or thereabouts in January, uh, I, I've tried to share and make mention and bring people to the realization that life is sacred. Life is sacred. Uh, it certainly matters what you believe 
about how life came into existence. It, it matters. Now, first of all, I would say that I want to believe whatever's true. I don't want to believe something just because there are good results if you believe it. In other words, if there's no God and He didn't create us, I don't want to believe that. I don't want to live a fantasy. I mean, if we evolved from pond scum, as I've often said, because it always blesses you to just embrace this truth if you're an evolutionist and you deny creation, it should bless your heart to know that you're pond scum on the way to becoming fertilizer. That's really all you are. We talk about the dash. Well, really, you know, that's it. Pond scum and fertilizer. And whatever you do now is just the time spent in between those two points. That's where you came from and that's where you're headed. Well, if that's true, then I, I, I want to embrace that and just say, hey, that's, that, that's what's true. And I'm just going to have to deal with it. But I do not believe for one moment that is what's true. I believe that this life and this earth, you wouldn't believe if I were to lose my phone. I almost lost it. It's sitting here, not on my, my hip here. But uh, if I, you were to find my phone out there in the yard, uh, no one would believe that that phone just fell out of the sky. You know, just it just became. It just accidentally, by chance, an iPhone developed. You know, you say that's ludicrous. Nobody, if, if somebody tries to convince you of that, you would say, let's go get you some psychiatric help because you are really troubled. You are living in a fantasy world if you think an iPhone just happened. My dear friend, I tell you, that is exactly what the evolutionist, actually it's worse than that because I present to you that this universe is much more complicated than an iPhone and then you throw on top of the universe, you throw human beings and animal life and, and, and how complicated life is. We are much more complicated than an iPhone. And I present to you, we did not, this earth, this universe, you and I, mankind, we did not just drop out of the sky. God created, in the beginning, God created this universe and He created mankind. Therefore, because He created us, life is sacred. It is holy. That is one of, the, one of the great truths of Christianity that I am so thankful for. You know why? Because it gives purpose to life. Sometimes we go through life and, and, and we're troubled and, and maybe we begin to think, you know, life just has no purpose. It has no meaning. Oh, yes, it does. Now, again, if you're pond scum on the way to becoming fertilizer, I'd have to, I have to agree with you. Life has no meaning. It's meaningless. But if you're created in the image of God... Your life has meaning. Your life has purpose. So that's one of the things that we want to do this morning. I want to just remind you, and I want you to leave here with the, the truth emblazoned upon your heart that your life, human life, is sacred. One more point before we really jump into this. Um, sometimes people, and you hear this a lot from the leftists and from those who are anti-Christian, and they say, you know, if we could just get rid of religion... The source of much conflict and violence in the world is religion. And they try to convince them. many of our young people going off to college, that's what they hear. You know, religion is really the problem. You know, everybody, these religious zealots and, 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 and they're fighting this religion, fighting this religion, and everybody, that, that, that's really the source of violence in the world. If we could just get rid of religion and, and people could just lay down these superstitions and all of us kind of reach a higher plane then, I mean, life would be perfect. Let me tell you something. Uh, did you know that the, the, the two, I guess you would call them the, 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 two, um, the two theories, the two 
ways of living. That's not the word I'm looking for, but it's early in the day. I normally don't want to run out of words this early. It's normally later in the day. Uh, but there, there are two, two, um, two, my, two, yeah, that's almost it. Not quite, Gary. Uh, two worldviews. There it is. That's what I'm looking for. There are two worldviews that have been responsible for more deaths than any other world. Not Christianity, not even Islam. And Islam, that's another sermon. It's a pretty violent worldview. But let me tell you, the two worldviews that have been responsible for more human deaths by far than any other worldview are two worldviews that are basically based on atheism and evolution. The first one's communism. Communism, both under Stalin, under Mao in China, even today under that ruthless maniac of a dictator in North Korea, this idea of atheistic communism has been responsible. Stalin killed millions. Millions died in China's cultural revolution. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions, are dying even now in North Korea. This idea, and all of communism is based on an atheistic worldview that you, are, you are, have evolved and God has nothing to do with it. Coupled with communism, Nazism. Nazism. The whole idea of, of, of Hitler's Nazism was that of evolutionary, uh, the survival of the fittest, that he believed the Aryan race was kind of the apex of evolution, more intelligent, more talented, and, and therefore, since human life is not sacred, and, and we are not, our life is not sacred because we're created in the image of God. It's all based on talent and ability. And who's the fittest to survive? That was uh, Nazism's whole theory and, and their whole basis for what they did. We need to take the mentally retarded. We need to take those that can't contribute to society. We need to take those that we deem undesirable. Get rid of them. Let's don't waste money feeding them. And by the way, if... If evolution is true, then that's the way to go. It is survival of the fittest. If there is no God, if we are not made in the image of God, then Hitler had it right. Let's pick out the brightest and the best and let them multiply, let them fill uh, the, the cities and those that we deem as less desirable, less intelligent, less able. Let's thin them out. You got a herd of cows? You got a crippled cow? You got one that's got one ear? You thin them out, don't you? We better sell that one. You know, don't let that one multiply. That's the same with human beings. If you're not made in the image of God, then Hitler and Nazism had it exactly right. But I tell you, why did they have it wrong? They had it wrong because you are created by God. And your value, your value as a human being is not based on your intelligence not based on your talents or your abilities, but it is based on the fact that you're made in the image of God. That's why we should have compassion. You know, the very first hospitals, often in the Middle Ages, what we think of as a hospital, they were basically charity uh, and a charity outreach of the church. That the church said, listen, human life is sacred. I know this person's sick and they've only got a couple of months to live, but let's put them in a bed. 
Let's love them. I know they're out there on the street, but they're God's child. And, and, and Christian theology, the idea that human life is sacred, causes people to reach out to those that are unloved by society. That's what it should do. Remember, we're a rescue station, not a museum. And so the whole idea of the sacredness of human life is a very core tenet of uh, our Christian faith. Now, I, I mentioned about creation, and uh, of course you know there in Genesis 1 it says that God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Now, we talk primarily today, of course human life is sacred, and, and we could talk about murder, you know, certainly to murder our brother, our sister, is, is not right. Uh, euthanasia, we hear a lot about today. And that is to say, well, listen, you, uh, you don't want to live anymore. You know, you're depressed or maybe you're paralyzed or whatever your problem is. And, and we're just going to help you commit suicide. Hey, you know, you know who the pioneers in euthanasia were? I go back to our, uh, our old friends, the Nazis. It was the Nazis. The Nazis were the pioneers in euthanasia. That's the, before they ever built a concentration camp, they went into the, uh, the, I guess you'd say the asylums, and they said, boy, look at these pitiful... They, they're even videos. You can look them up on YouTube where they would take a video of this person that obviously has a mental problem, and they're, you know, doing all types of things. And, and, and the whole purpose of the video is look at this person. Look how wretched this person is. Look how much this person is suffering. You know, that, that, that they're... They're mentally not like us. They're laughing. They're making faces. Isn't the humane thing to do? Just put them out of their misery. Just, you know, give them morphine and, and just let them go into the next world. I mean, just that's, that's how the concentration camp started. That, that was the first concentration camp was let's clean out the mental asylums. Let's clean out, you know, the places, these homeless people, the people that don't have any place to go. Let's clean up society. Let's clean it up. And, and, and my friend, absolutely that is not the sanctity of life says that every life is sacred from conception to natural death. Now often the sanctity of human life, and that's what I'm going to focus on this morning, is abortion, which is a part of the sanctity of human life. One of the reasons that, that we have the sanctity of human life Sunday in January is it's normally designed to coincide with what's known as the Roe versus Wade decision. I just want to make sure you understand that decision. Some folks are confused about that. And they say, well, are you going to overturn the Roe versus Wade decision? And people have an idea that somehow if you were to overturn the Supreme Court's decision in 1973 called Roe versus Wade, that all of a sudden abortion would be illegal. Let me, let me just make sure you understand politically what that means. All the Roe versus Wade decision did before that, it was up to each individual state your elected representatives, the status of abortion in your state. Every state had a different rule. More conservative states, generally, abortion was not allowed. You went to New York, California, their legislatures, more liberal. Abortion was legal in 1973, and abortion in uh, New York, California, many liberal states. What Roe versus Wade did, the Supreme Court stepped in, as they've become more and more fond of doing in these latter years, and they said, hey, uh, what we're going to do, we're going to say that, that the right to an abortion for a woman to abort a fetus or a young baby, a little child, is a constitutional right and no state has the authority to make that illegal. So with one decision, every law that said you cannot have an abortion was immediately struck down in all 50 states 
and abortion became legal in every single state. Any law on the books that made it illegal was all of a sudden unconstitutional. And so we believe, I believe, uh, we hold to the sanctity of human life that that is a great moral wrong. That human life is sacred and that inside the womb that is a human being. Now, I've, I've shared some of this information with you before and I'm going to share it with you again because I'm going to be honest with you, the argument, the argument for the sanctity of human life doesn't change. We can, make, we can put it in different formats and we can give you different examples, but the argument stays the same. It is an eternal argument. Why is abortion morally wrong? You say, you know, Brother William, we look at society and everybody says that's kind of a feminist, it's a... A woman's right to choose, we often are told, and you're putting people under, under some type of shackle and bondage, making them give birth to a child that's going to put them in hardship. And, and why would you want to do that? Well, let me just give you, first of all, the first argument that I'm going to give you is the argument from Scripture. And very briefly, in Psalm 139, verse 13, and remember, we're talking about the unborn child here. There the psalmist says, For you covered my, you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. And of course, when you're in the Psalms, you're, you're talking poetic language. What we see here, the psalmist is not saying that he thinks a baby's made in the inner parts of the earth. He, it's a poetic, it's a poem. And he has poetic language. He's talking about the mystery of of the formation of a human being in the womb. He says, I will praise you. He said, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, marvelous of your works, that my soul knows well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O Lord, and how great is the sum of them. And in Jeremiah 1.5, the prophet Jeremiah says, before the Lord speaking to Jeremiah, he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. To me, that's very important. God is saying that he knew Jeremiah before he formed him in the womb. Now, the, the, you can't know a non-person. And God is saying, Jeremiah, I knew you. I knew you. And then I formed you in the womb. I had a purpose for you. I knew who you were, and I knew you. And I had a purpose for you even before you were born. Isaiah 49 says, The Lord has called me from the womb, and from the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. There again, Isaiah is giving out a principle that in the womb of his mother, God was calling out his name. That he was a person. He had a personality. And God was communicating and had a purpose for him even before he came forth from the womb. Luke 1.15, speaking of John the Baptist, the angel speaking uh, to Elizabeth. He says, he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. Again, a, a principle that the, the child in the womb filled with the Holy Ghost, this child was a person 
in the womb. Luke 141, when Elizabeth met Mary, it says, When Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost, and she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of your salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And Paul in Galatians 1.15, he says, When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. And Psalm 127.3 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord and the fruit of the womb is a reward from him. So first argument I give to you as a Christian is scripture. You're here and you claim to be a Christian I don't see how that you can claim to be a Christian and claim that you believe the Bible is the Word of God and say that you think abortion is okay. You approve of it and you say, if it's a bad situation, I don't have a problem with it. Listen, Scripture gives a clear argument that God cares about the unborn child. God knows the unborn child and the unborn child is a person. There's a second argument, and that argument, I would simply say, is not just Scripture, but science. i give you a quote from one of the leading uh, leaders of the National Abortion Rights Action League called NARAL, and this was a few years ago when um, <laughs> ultrasound first became uh, widely accessible and they could look inside the womb, and that was really the first time in the history of of science that they've been able to have clear color pictures inside the womb and, and see a baby develop and, and 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 this was really creating a lot of issues for the abortion industry and here's what Harris Hickman uh, said it says probably nothing has been as damaging to our cause as the advances in technology which have allowed pictures of the developing fetus because people now talk about the fetus in much different terms than they once did they talk about it as a human being which is not something that I have an easy answer on how to cure. And I have a video, I think we've showed this video before, but it's called The Miracle of Life and uh, uh, basically just gives you a little bit of, of uh, some of this scientific information that, uh, that he was talking about. So play that if you will, Chris, The Miracle of Life.
Amen. So you see just some scientific facts, some scientific facts about the validity and the fact that a baby in the womb, just because you can't see that baby, doesn't mean that baby is not a human being. That baby is a human being. That baby has a soul. That baby obviously has a body that is developing. So life is present in the womb. We believe in the sanctity of human life. And what we're just trying to do to convince you this morning is that that life doesn't start when that baby comes out of that womb and starts crying. That life begins at conception. We believe that life is worthy of protection from conception. Well, one more argument that I have, and, and I've talked to you about this, and I've given you some of these examples before. I call it the argument of God's sovereignty. And I simply mean by that, I'm not God and you're not God. We don't know whether a human being's life is worth living or not. We don't know that. You know, you, you've heard me give the example uh, of... Um, well, Tim Tebow is a more modern example, but you know Tim Tebow, when his mother became pregnant, they were missionaries in, the, uh, in an eastern country, and she had contracted some type of tropical disease, and uh, the doctor said, listen, uh, the best thing for you to do, I I'd strongly advise you to get an abortion, you, you know, you've already got several children, this is not going to be healthy for you, if the, the baby's probably not going to live through this sickness that you have, and if the baby does live... It's either going to be mentally retarded, physically handicapped. I mean, it's just, I know you don't believe in abortion, but I'm just telling you this is the best thing for you in your situation. You're a little bit older. you got all these problems. You're sick, etc. You know, she was a very devout Christian. They were missionaries, actually, her and her husband. She said, I'm just not going to do it. I, you know, I may die, but I am not going to abort this baby. Well, you know, as most of you know, I'm, I'm kind of a Georgia fan, and I think anybody that remembers Tim Tebow, he looked in pretty good health last time I saw him when they whipped up on Georgia, the last Georgia-Florida game uh, they played. I mean, you don't know. You don't know. Certainly, you know, doctors can sometimes tell us, and, and every case doesn't come out that way, but, you know, Ethel Waters, you've heard me talk about her. You know, if, if some of you younger don't remember Ethel Waters, but you can Google up the old Billy Graham crusade or Ethel Waters a uh, black lady would stand and sing there back in the 60s, 50s, 60s, even into the 70s at the Billy Graham Crusade. And her, one of our most popular songs was, His Eyes on the Sparrow, and I Know He Watches Me. Well, many people don't know that Ethel Waters' mother was 13 years old when she conceived Ethel Waters. Had her, she may have been 13 when she was born. I think she was 14. She was 13 years old, and... Anybody today would say, my goodness, a life. I mean, um, you know, this, I don't know exactly what happened, but I, I mean, obviously it's rape with a 13-year-old regardless, you know. That, that's not old enough to know better. And 13 years of age, but yet, because it just couldn't be done, I guess. I guess it could have been done, but we're talking first part of the 20th century. Ethel Waters was born. And my goodness, a life, what a life she led. I mean, just such a booming voice, such a bubbly personality. If you, I, I, Go back to YouTube and, and query up Ethel Waters. Uh, she had struggles in life. But the point I'm making is, listen, you don't know. And, and when you say that because of the circumstances of a conception, and I'm not running for office, so I'll jump in on this one too, even rape and incest, which I know cause us to, to, you know, cause us to, to get back and say, wow, I, I just don't know about that. But I'm just going to tell you, my dear friend, no matter what the circumstances of the conception, if that is a human life, it is a human life, regardless of the circumstances of conception. That does not lessen 
the value of that human life. And certainly, uh, you, just, you just aren't God. And I'm not God, and, and we have to let God be God and, and not get up there and decide, we're going to decide whose life is worth living and whose life is not. Well, the last one that I want to share with you, the last, last argument, if you will. Anybody see the movie Soul Survivor? I think that's one that came out, you know, about the, uh, the Green Beret or, or, or the uh, Special Forces guy in Afghanistan. Yeah, he was the only survivor. And, and, and you know, the, those stories of being a survivor... Are, are, are really, you know, they just captivate you because, you know, you hear about a person that went through a situation that where they should have died, but they survived. Sometimes there's guilt with a survivor. You know, why, why did I survive? Why did the other people die and not me? Well, you know, I think one of the strongest arguments uh, against abortion is that of survivors, people who have survived an abortion. I, and we're going to close. This will be the last thing. It's about a six-minute video uh, of a young lady uh, who was just that, a uh, person who was, um, there was an abortion and, and she survived it. So let's, let's play that, Chris, and we'll, we'll close with that. My name is Claire Colwell, and I am an abortion survivor, and that is how I have been affected, which is very rare. I was a twin when I was in the womb, but today uh, I, I'm still a twin. My twin just isn't here. I am here to be able to be a voice and a face for the unborn. And that is all by God's grace. I will speak in honor of you. At the age of 20, I decided that I was going to make the phone call to my adoption agency and start a search to hopefully meet my birth mother. I received a phone call from her a month later and I visited. I had a card for her and on the card, what I wrote was, thank you for choosing life for me. That's the greatest gift I've ever received. And as she opened this card, what were very, very happy tears um, began to turn into very sad tears as well. And she grabs my hand and she took me into a back room. She began telling me about her life. What she told me was she grew up in a family where her parents were divorced. And she lived with her mother and her mother worked multiple jobs, which left my birth mother making very adult decisions for herself as she sought outside um, for love, for fulfillment, like many of us do. She found herself pregnant at 13 years old. Her mother said that there was only one thing to do. And that day they um, got in the car they drove to an abortion clinic, and my birth mother had a surgical abortion at five months along. After having her surgical abortion that day, as she went home to her, I believe, eighth grade life, she was in gym class with her best friend, I believe about four weeks later, and her friend said, have you been back to the doctor? 
um, things don't seem right, and maybe you should go get yourself checked out and make sure that nothing else is wrong. And so she had her mom take her back to the same abortionist um, to examine her. And at that moment, she was told the most shocking words she had ever heard in her entire life. You're still pregnant. Your abortion was successful, but you're still pregnant. You were pregnant with twins. One was aborted, but one has survived, and so you're still mothering a child in your womb. She was told that her amniotic fluid, um, which is in the sac and which is what holds the baby together and gives the baby nutrients, had been broken. My birth mother delivered a little baby girl two weeks later, and that was me. When I was born, I weighed three pounds, two ounces. My hips were dislocated and my feet were turned in as club feet. I had to stay in the hospital for two and a half months. I was on life support. When I was released, I had casts on my feet to correct my club feet. And I had a harness on my hips to um, hopefully correct my, put my hips back into place. And through the next couple years, I went through multiple casts, um, even body casts, to um, kind of form my body back together. Although it sounds like a horror story and many have said, well, aren't you angry? Aren't you upset? And I say no, because my birth mother is probably my biggest hero. Because she didn't have to tell me. And through her courage and through her strength, and her um, selflessness, people's lives are being changed. Abortion doesn't just affect one person, it's a domino effect. And even though that happened, it has turned into something so beautiful. God has really taught me to rely on him that this is not about me, that it's about him, it's about his grace, and it's about his amazing gift of life that he's given us. Even though life looks like a given, because we all have it, it's a gift. He is able to speak through my story and through my birth mother's story, through my parents' story, and share that gift with the world. Well, as I said, the story of a survivor uh, is often very, uh, very riveting. And that's, a, that's an abortion survivor. And 
we're, I, I think our musicians are coming. They're going to give us a song now. But I, I, I hope that somehow through this message today that you leave here with this truth emblazoned on your heart that your life is a gift from God. It is precious. It is precious. The life of every other human being on this planet, the ones you like, the ones you don't like, they're all a gift from God. Life, the very core of this message, is life is sacred. That's why we call it the sanctity. Sanctity means to be sacred. Life is sacred. Life is holy. Human life is holy because it comes from God. And, and you know, I just pray that you will remember that. Maybe you'll have an opportunity to influence someone, maybe even yourself or someone else who might be faced with a difficult situation one day. Please remember that life is sacred. And just like that young lady that was in my uh, first church, maybe you're here and sometime in your past abortion has touched you, uh, maybe through your own personal experience or someone you love, know that there's grace. It's a story of grace. You know, I, I love what this young lady shared. You know, she's not angry at her birth mother. It's, it's love. And, and grace, that, that is again the wonderful message of the cross is God's, God's reaching out. We're all broken people. This is not a museum. It's a rescue station. We're all broken in some way. And no matter what your brokenness may be, God gives you His grace. It's healing, healing grace to go forward. And whatever happened in your past, give it to God, give it to Him, and go and help somebody else, just like that wonderful lady in my first church who had made that commitment. You know, I can't change what happened when I was 16, but God, I give it to you, and you know what? I'm going to reach out and try to help someone else. I'm going to share my story with them. As we stand and sing hymn number? Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of all. A little chorus as we stand and sing that. If you're here this morning, maybe God has spoken to your heart. Maybe you want to pray, you have a burden, or you want to make a public commitment to the Lord. You just obey the Holy Spirit as we sing.